So I went to a, um, I'm, a, I'm on the board of PragerU, as you know, and I had a really nice get together. We, we have a really nice group of people on the board. And I'm not going to divulge any confidences, of course, of it, but, but they're very nice people, um, really staunch conservatives, people who love America and people who love God. And it was interesting. And Dennis was there as well. And Dennis gave a nice speech. And it was one that I will remember for a long time. But it's something that's very consistent with what you and I, you and I have been speaking about, Ari, all the time. I think you would like this quite a bit. He spoke about the challenges and Biden being president and all those things. And do we still fight? And I brought up the point that, yeah, well, of course we still fight. Don't, don't forget, I said to everyone, that, you know, PragerU was born during the Obama administration, right? I mean, we didn't, we didn't give up. We, in fact, we were born during that time. So uh, it's not as if PragerU can only survive, or for that matter, any conservative outlet can only survive if there's a conservative president as president. Yeah, does Planned Parenthood fold its shingle when a Republican's elected? Yeah, no, on the contrary, they're more emboldened, <laughs> right. I'm sure. So anyway, uh, so he, he made that, I mean, we, we talked about that, and then he, he said his main point, which is, don't be afraid to announce that you're a Republican or a conservative or, or even pro-Trump. Don't be afraid about that at all. Um, wear your hat if you want to. Uh, yes, you know, what the, what the left is counting on, and this is his main point, what the left is counting on is that you self-censor, that you are so intimidated that you wonder what other people thinking are, will be, you know, that you'll be fired from your job, that you, you will not, uh, you know, be interesting to a potential date, uh, that your friends will abandon you, that your neighbors will, will shun you. Uh, and it's just not true. Um, my neighbors know, for example, uh, and there are, I have quite a few liberal neighbors. My neighbors know that I not only am conservative, but I'm, I'm very pro-Trump. And, uh, you know, we try to find other things that we like about life, you know. So my neighbors, we, we, there's enough to go around, right? There's my, a lot of my neighbors like biking. I like biking. Uh, a couple of my neighbors are vegan. I like, I'm vegan. Uh, there, there's a lot of things to do. We're talking about movies, about music, and, and so on. So... We have that, and once in a while it slips in about Trump and Biden and whatever it might be. Um, but we let it go, and, and that's that. It's, you know, to the credit of most of Americans, I'm not talking about leftists like Antifa and, and BLM, who you get triggered so easily. You know, when you're talking to somebody who is, and again, this is a, a generality, but when you're talking to somebody who's 35 and older, 40 years and older, they're a little bit more sensible, even if they're on the left, they understand that there, that there is room for conservative voices. And it's okay. Even if you do have a, a neighbor that would get triggered by your being a Trump supporter, so what? Let them know that you are a Trump supporter. Big deal. You're still a human being. You're still a good neighbor. You still look out for each other. And that's actually good. It's good for you to be an ambassador to conservatism. And for that matter, an ambassador... To, to God. That's, that's, the way, that's why I say God bless and everything else. So these are, these are big things that I'd like to talk about. Um, and the, the big challenges that we face today. Now, uh, there are other things going on. And this is a major event that's happening. And I want to I wanna talk about this. Um, without getting into details and without naming names, Ari, 
uh, you and I know a tremendous number of families who are leaving California. And we know a lot of families that are leaving New York and Illinois and other, you know, classic liberal states. And they're taking their vile voting habits to places unsullied by their vile voting habits. Right. Thank you, California. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so, uh, as you know, uh, many people are are thinking about this, but a lot of the people that are leaving California um, are conservatives too. They're leaving for a very legitimate reason, uh, intellectually they and, and also financially. They don't want to be paying the 15% state tax, income tax, uh, just for the, the luxury and the joy of having nice weather. Um, and then, of course, they're making it all the easier to push us out. I'm going to be talking about that in a moment. Uh, the homeless situation, the lack of uh, law enforcement, trespass and defecation and things like that. So they're, they're pushing conservatives certainly away who, who already are, feel like a fish out of water when it comes to you know, their conservatism in a very liberal state. So it's, they're the most likely ones to leave, right, when you think about it. So I think, you know, by and large, and, and I'm hoping that more conservatives are leaving California than leftists are. So that would mean that, let's say they all go to Nevada, Nevada, I should say or Florida, uh, that they are taking their conservative voices with them, and they are a net conservative vote in their respective states to where they are going, okay? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I'm I'm hoping. I mean, that's intellectually, that's what I think is is happening. And um, I'm going to, I call it the new great migration. Now, there are a couple of reasons why this is happening, folks. First of all, locally in California, locally in, in Southern California in particular, there's something that's going on in Venice, California right now, and Ari knows this really well. Um, there is some sort of program going on there designed to push out the uh, upper middle class and the lower wealthy class out of Venice. Just, it's, it's as almost as if the, the, the powers that be in Venice are saying, get the F out of here. And we're going to make sure that life is miserable for you and you can't stand to be here. Well, guess what? That's exactly what's happening. So there's this flood of wealthy people who used to have nice homes, $4 million homes, $5 million homes, and so on, in Venice, who are now flocking out of Venice. And they still want to be in Southern California. And so they're going to Brentwood, Bel Air, and otherwise. So the market, the real estate market in those places is very hot right now. I don't know how long that will last, but I think it's been bad enough for people living in Venice that they actually now want to take their money and buy something attractive in, in Brentwood. Now, Brentwood, watch out because Venice is coming to you soon enough. They already are doing that yeah. at the VA. If you look at the VA, which is in Brentwood. If there's, and just so you know, historically, Brentwood's never had a homeless problem. Right. Never. Right. Yeah, now, and I, and I live in Brentwood. Um, I'm seeing uh, just truckloads of, of homeless people, mostly under bridges. Um, it seems like they have specific locations that they're targeting. There's some bridges under which there are no homeless at all. So you, you think to yourself, well, why are, are, is this kind of like 
shanty town underneath this bridge and not underneath that bridge, because right? Just kind of the chase because they're being used as a weapon. It's obvious. That, that, know, that, that's very clear to me. Yeah, that's very clear to me that they are specifically told you can stay here, but you can't stay there. Yeah, it's okay? an amazing thing. And again, you know, to maybe jump ahead from where you want to be to build the story, but I think we might as well go there because I think the after the mm-hmm. revelation of this is more interesting than the buildup to it is. It reveals that the homeless problem is not a problem. It reveals the powers that be of the of the city can can accelerate or puts the gas or the brakes on where the homeless are at any second, depending on what the whims of the big developers and contributors are. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So full control over it. I I understand and I agree with you about that. But let's talk about the three. I I, want to get to that already. There are three factors. One is that Venice is leaving. Uh, Venice is leaving Venice. The wealthies are, are leaving Venice. And they're so flummoxed. They don't get it. Why? Oh, my, my neighborhood is so overrun by homeless. I don't get it. I don't understand. And they, and they have very nice parents. We know some of them who are, you know, running for city council in Venice. And they are going to fight this, uh, this scourge and this difficulty. And, and this should not be right. And I'll, you're fighting a losing battle because the developers and the city council that's already there, they are on a mission and you cannot fight it. It's just the end of the story. They want Venice to go to hell in a handbasket for one simple reason, which is that they can give it to the developers to become an Agenda 21 project. Uh, and full gentrified. Of, and gentrified, yeah. exactly right. So they can basically snatch it up for a song. Yeah, exactly. And then develop it and then sell it for billions. It's It's... It's so uh, hand in hand with, uh, I mean, the, the real estate developing world, and the only one, only people who benefit from it are the, the real estate developers who are uh, working hand in hand with the city council. Then the city council, of course, who are no doubt getting some sort of payback for this, um, and uh, that's about it, I suppose. And then, of course, the leftists who you know love the idea of destroying everything that was once good. Yeah, now, it's like out of Chinatown, it's so bad. It really is bad. So that's. Uh, the movie. Reason number one. Reason number one is is what I just described. Reason number two is more of a national phenomenon, which is the very low interest rates. Now, uh, when you have really low interest rates, it, that that spurs on uh, demand for housing because you know you, you, you know it's money is cheap, it's cheaper at least. And now that three million dollar house that you couldn't afford, well now you think you can afford it. Okay, and that's the way it works. So that allows for more fluidity in the market and people are uh, feel more comfortable moving from one place to the other because they look at their monthly nut. They don't look at their uh, the overall price of the house. They look at how much is this going to cost me on a monthly basis. All right, so that's another factor why people are moving. But here's the biggest reason why people are moving and why the demand in Southern California in particular is so aggressive. COVID. And not the reason why you think it is. COVID has created a, <clears throat> a, a, an effect, a consequence that people have not thought about. <clears throat> and that is this. People have realized that they can do their work anywhere. They've been forced to work from home. There are some businesses, including my law firm, for example, where you really can do <clears throat> a tremendous amount of work not in the office. You can be an accountant and not work in the office. There are many many medical things you can do not in the office. You can be a therapist not in the office. 
And there are many other service-related industries that are not in the office. You can even be <clears throat> a head of a plumbing company, for that matter, um, and, not, and, and, and organize uh, your, your plumbers to work and to go to yeah, this house and like that. Uber or, uh, or uh, Postmates than the traditional, here's the office, check in, pick up your paperwork, and then go. Right. No. Now with cell phones and smart apps, you know, you just the, the plumber leaves his, his residence to go and he knows his whole route without picking up paperwork. Right. So imagine you live in a place called, a, a state like Michigan. Uh, what is it? Bloom, Bloomfield Hills or Bloomington? Bloomington. Uh, or, Bloomington Hills? Yeah, or Oakland Hills, Michigan. It's a, there's a nice suburb outside of Detroit. Yeah, I think you it's know. Oakland Hills is what you're referring okay, to. Okay, either way. It doesn't matter. There, there are a couple, a couple of nice neighborhoods out there. But as you know, Michigan is very cold and not great weather, but nice neighborhoods, I'm sure. And uh, they say to themselves, why am I living in Michigan? Why am I living in this, this horrible weather state? And it's not very uh, conservative friendly, at least in the suburbs of, of Detroit, in Wayne County and so forth. So I want out. <clears throat> and I could do my job zooming it if I want to, from uh, Southern California. I could do it in Hawaii, for that matter, if I'm going to be stuck anywhere. I, I mean, I don't even have to be stuck. Even after COVID lifts, you know, God willing that it lifts soon enough, I might as well do it from Southern California, yeah. where the weather is beautiful all the time. And so people are now flocking from these cold weather states or unpleasant weather states to uh, Southern California. So now, despite, despite the flocking of people coming into California, the, the net outflow is still like 2,000 people a week. I mean, it's really extraordinary. So you would think the Golden State would have all this uh, opportunity. But don't worry, folks. There's plenty of uh, illegal immigration coming in to fill up that void. So you'll be good in terms of just sheer numbers. If that's all you want, sheer numbers of people in California, don't you worry. The, there's another caravan coming, yeah. all right? So, but putting that aside, just going back to real estate, uh, you're going to have a lot more of this happening. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of fluid migration, which in some ways is good, um, especially if you own a house and you want to sell your house in Southern California. Well, it's also good because, I, I mean, as a capitalist, you know, and a free enterprise person, I'm interested in efficiency. And if we've overbuilt um, commercial real estate that's not needed, well, it can be repurposed. That's yeah. a good thing. It's um, the same way uh, we, we've talked for years about how um, Airbnb is showing how obsolete the concept in most cases a hotel is. I mean, if you have a building that can house someone it's inefficient if it's sitting empty, and it's efficient if it's full. Yeah. So why should hotels be full when there are all these houses that are empty? Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I, I really love using Airbnb and uh, VRBO um, because, frankly, I, I prefer a kitchen and, and a lot more room to walk yeah, around in. a better deal in all I want cars. a better deal, and, yeah. and I get everything, and it's usually a little cheaper than a hotel room is, you know, when you factor in all the taxes and everything else. Yeah, and and I'm, not, I'm not walking over, you know, my whole family uh, as we're, we have, a, we're looking for two adjoining rooms. And Anyway, I don't want to get into that too much, but you're right, it's about efficiency. And people, if they want to move to Southern California because of the weather, and they can do, do their business here, uh, then, you know, fine. That's the way it is. That's a free market capitalism. Anyway, the point is that this was all an inevitability, Ari. I, I think that 
you know, we talk about consequences, and we talk about it all the time, right? So imagine that there are some on the left who really played into this COVID thing, and they said, okay, well, this is going to be a great way to defeat Donald Trump in the election. It wasn't at the end of the day. He was, I mean, he actually won by a landslide. I'm, I'm very confident about that. But uh, nevertheless, they still used it as a weapon. Um, and they thought that, but, but I don't think they would then say, okay, and then furthermore, it will create chaos in the cities or uh, have people have this transmigration over this. Uh, no, that, of course, they didn't think about this. What's going to end up happening, ironically, is that you'll have more polarity, uh, which is, you know, ostensibly what they don't want. Conservatives will not want to stay in California, right? It's already a, a liberal state. We know that. But it'll be even more of a blue state. And conservatives will, will loo, uh, leave to more red state friendly places like South Carolina. Well, uh, you know, yes and no, because, I mean, don't forget, the recall did get triggered. I mean, it's happening. I know, but there are some people, people that, that... So many people oh, here we go. have come to the conclusion on their own because of the degradation of lifestyle that maybe voting Democrat isn't a good idea. And I think that's a very good thing. I, I, I understand, and it's what we call the Giuliani moment. Um, I don't think that we're going to have a Giuliani moment for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, it, there, there's too many factors. So... You're right that there are people who are pushing for a, a recall of, of uh, Newsom, but then what's going to happen at the end of the day? So there'll be a recall, and there'll be 30 people running for, for the governor, so most of whom... Oh, another Democrat. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm... Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's going to be replaced by another Democrat, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, so, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as the, the who like to say. And that's... And, and whatever it is, it won't matter anymore because... You know, you have enough conservatives leaving. I mean, look, you only need a million and a half people to sign a petition. Okay, great. Are there a million and a half conservatives in, in California? Yeah, of course there are. There are many more than that. So that wouldn't be hard to do for those who are still living here. But most, most people are just fed up with it. And so I'm not surprised that they're leaving. Back in, when, when was the Gray Davis recall? 2002. Okay, so 2002. Back then, people were not... Uh, thinking about leaving California because they didn't like the politics, they said, "Okay, let's work within the system and get and get this uh, loser, Gray Davis, out because he's just not doing a good job here." And, uh, and and that was the attitude. That's the attitude I had. I never thought about leaving California. Now, I'm I'm thinking about leaving California, as we all are. There's a point where we just say, "I can't have my kids live through this." I, I I'm. I'm scared of, of letting my kids walk alone on the, on the street in my neighborhood, which is supposed to be a very safe neighborhood. You know, all, all you need is one crazy guy to just say boo to your kid or speak, you know, say something vulgar to your kid. And, and that's, yeah, they're, that, traumatized that's, they're traumatized for life. For life. Yeah. And, and forget about even, you know, God forbid, something physical happening to them, sexually or otherwise. God forbid. Uh, that's even worse. I don't need that. I don't need it for my very young kids. Uh, and I don't want them to see, you know, needles on, on the ground. Uh, I don't want this to become San Francisco. And, and so, I mean, it's too easy for me to leave. Thank God I can, move, I can vote with my feet, go to a place where I feel it's safe, go to a place where 
the education of my children is reasonably, you know, moderate. I, I don't expect it to be, you know, all Trump, but I do expect it to be at least moderate, where I can have a voice, where my kids can have a voice and not feel uh, shamed for uh, speaking out as a conservative. I want them to be able to, uh, uh, to, to go out and, and walk around and, and just play with other kids without, and, and not worry that I have to be watching them every single moment. It's, it's, it's that basic, my friends. So it's the great migration that we are talking about today. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily something that the left has really thought about. They have to deal with something called capitalism and the freedom of movement. Now, and you know that they didn't think about it, Ari, the left. They have not thought about it because uh, California is now saying that if you do leave California, we will continue to tax you for 10 years after you move. Even if you establish valid residency, let's say in Nevada, even if you establish it, we're still going to tax you for yeah, 10 well, years. New York's been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. You know, they've yeah. yeah, this is the way. So this is the way they a, get you. It's not a new idea, you know. Right. Well, okay. So that disincentivizes anybody from moving to states like New York in the first place, right? Yeah. So you think you've got this great job in New York, like you say, wait a minute, you can check in, but you can't check out, right? Like the Eagles song. Um, I, I'm not about to do that. That's what they'll say. So it's, a, it's not a tax on income. It's a tax on net wealth. It's a wealth tax. Yeah. It's a percentage of your net wealth so, or your net worth. So what if your net worth is tied up in real estate? You have to liquidate assets to pay your annual tax bill? Yeah. At, at a, of a course. Loss? It's crazy. It is crazy. And so let's say you move out of California altogether, establish residency in, I don't know, North, uh, South Dakota. Okay. Great state. And uh, South Dakota has virtually no income tax, and you, you feel good. And California comes after you saying, give me the money for the next 10 years. Uh, and you say to them, go pound sand, because I'm not making any money in, in California. I'm not deriving any income from California. So go pound sand. California says, I don't care. We're going to go after you. And you say to yourself, how can you come after me? I I'm in South Dakota. Uh, they file a lawsuit against you anyway for the tax due that they claim. And then they go to get what, what's called a sister state judgment. They could domesticate a sister state judgment in South Dakota. South Dakota has to honor the judgment that California has issued. Um, well, most of the time it has to. And then they can collect your assets in South Dakota. Now, there can be a fight because... Uh, there are states where you cannot domesticate certain judgments. For example, uh, let's say that the uh, statutory rape uh, statute in one state is much lower than it is in another state, 14 versus uh, 18 in one state. And uh, there is a charge that you have uh, unlawfully engaged in statutory rape with a 17-year-old girl, and now you're in a 14-year-old state, right? They won't enforce that because it, it's, not con it's not consistent with their laws. But I, I don't know if that, if that would happen in yeah, South Dakota, whether, whether, whether South Dakota would still reject the notion. What were you going to say? Yeah, but governments always love money. So even when they're run by good people or be not the word good, uh, even when governments are run by <clears throat> less despicable people, 
they tend to want to collect money. Well, I know, but but in my example, South Dakota wouldn't get the taxes. It would be it would be California that that would get it and retrieve it. No, no, I'm, yeah, I, that's no. the way that's the way it is. I mean, yeah. they, California is not doing it for the benefit of South Dakota, I know, right? I know. So government is government, judges are judges. Yeah. Anyway, the point. No, you're not. This is the way the law works. So, I mean, if I have a judgment. Uh, in California for a client, let's say, and the bad guy moves to uh, Nebraska, I can go to Nebraska, I can domesticate my judgment in Nebraska and start collecting on behalf of my client. Right. It's not on behalf of Nebraska. The client is the Franchise Tax Board of California. Right. It's the same principle. Yes, that's right. Okay, so maybe, you, maybe you're not, mis- you're no, not understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying it, the money goes, whatever they liquidate in South Dakota goes back to California yes. for the Franchise Tax Board. Okay, right. fine. So we're on the same page. Look, uh, things, uh, this is uh, such an odd time we live in because it's, 2020 was certainly a, a very bizarre year. I think it's going to continue to be fairly bizarre going forward. Uh, everything was going so you don't well. Think Joe Biden is the most normal administration you've ever seen. I thought he was there to bring back normalcy. Uh, so, everything was going. Sarcastic. By the way, it's normality. I just want to make that Whatever. clear. Okay, that normalcy is the wrong word. Everyone says it, but there it is. Are you oppressing me? With I am oppressing you. Yes, I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, what's the word? I, uh, it's my white privilege coming out. Yeah, so, say. all right. The point is that uh, these crazy changes will continue in 2021 and beyond, unless we have some sort of Giuliani moment, which I will talk about in a moment. So, everything was going great. 2019 was wonderful. In the beginning of 2020, for that matter, was wonderful. Uh, you know, the the, the clouds were, uh, you know, it was sunny, so to speak, throughout the nation. It was. Uh, you know, we were that city on the hill that Ronald Reagan spoke about. But uh, the, the Democrats knew they were going to lose. They needed a crisis. And whether or not the virus was purposefully let out or another, putting that aside altogether, let's assume it was all a big mistake, you know, a big misunderstanding like an episode of Three's Company, okay? Uh, nevertheless, the Democrats certainly exploited it. We know that. We know it. Now you can say, well, Barack, wait a minute, the whole world acted in a much similar way, and so therefore, no, America takes a lead. America sets the tone in these sorts of things. And uh, when America panics, the rest of the world panics. That's the way it is. So they, they, they did this, and that, of course, had a ripple effect into the riots, and the whole notion of global warming came, came back into the fore. Racism was, was stirred up all again, and the national anthem was all... It was just crazy. 2020 was the craziest year. And we just took defeat out of the jaws of victory, so to speak. We just chose defeat. And, it, and it's awful. And, and, and we, we should have rejected it. And now we have the great migration. Things are changing. Things are up in the air. There's going to be uncertainty like never before, and it was all self-inflicted. That's the thing that bothers me the most. We had such good foundational uh, grounds to accelerate America to become truly the finest country in the world, to be the, not just the strongest, not just the most free, but the country that everyone would look to as a model to accelerate freedom throughout the entire world. Instead, we got a retreat into the notion of dictatorship, of, of communism. 
that somehow we, we are celebrating the taking of freedom from man. I can't tolerate that. I can't. And we need to fight. Worse, malaise. Yeah. I mean, we, in an instant, it became Jimmy Carter's 1979 again to me. Um, can I pose a, uh, well, first of all, let me pat myself on the back. Who is predicting that a chaotic event would happen that was unforeseen that would crater the economy and threaten Trump's reelection? You did? Yep. <laughs> uh, second of all, and this is the big one, and I want to know what you think about this. I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Um, whose fault is this? Because I think it's obvious that there's someone who's responsible for all of this stuff happening, but conservatives aren't blaming him. And it's, it's clear that uh, a number of things happened, and we constantly blame the Democrats or the local bureaucrat or the... Um, the health department or the local governors, but there's some, I just want you to, to know, Barack, in your opinion, whose fault is this? Because I have a, a clear opinion about whose fault this is, and it's not being talked about by anyone. Well, so, I mean, the easy answer there would be that it's the Democrats, generally speaking, but you have a different, yeah. different thought in mind. Go I'm ahead. I'm going to run by you right now. Trump. Trump's fault. As it turns out, the governors were not able to create their states of emergency without a national state of emergency being called. And Trump's the one who called it. He might have called it with the best of intentions at, at heart, and he might have been tricked, he might not have been whatever. It's all his fault. It really is. He fell for this hook, line, and sinker. And whether it was Fauci and Pence and those people who did it, or whether it was... Um, uh, Tucker Carlson, supposedly Tucker Carlson went to meet with him at Mar-a-Lago and talked him into how serious COVID was and talked him into a state of emergency. It's Trump's fault. And I think we as conservatives, you know, because what are we as conservatives at our core? We're people who just speak the truth. We don't pick sides. We don't pick winners and losers. We, anal we make analysis of what really happened to make better decisions in the future. And the fact is, Trump was being as conservative a guy as he could have been and, you know, I, I admitted to you in 2019 how wrong I was in 2016 about him based on the snapshot we had in 2019. But come 2020, he's the one who made the fatal mistake that then gave the governors all that power. And he did not look at the chessboard several steps ahead and say, well, what kind of miles will they bite off after I give them an inch? I get it. I get it. But I, I disagree with you about this. Um, I understand why you're blaming him in that sense. I'm but not blaming him. I'm positing the notion that we should consider it. Anyway, I don't think that Trump really had a choice. Uh, in the same way that Bush didn't have a choice back in during the Katrina hurricane, uh, you know, because it, it wasn't the federal jobs, it wasn't the job of the federal government to go down and, and help with Katrina. Uh, what it should have been local, it should have been state, and then uh, and then federal at the very last second, um, if absolutely necessary. But instead, they just turned to the federal situation, and they, they wanted to blame uh, Bush for that, and they succeeded in large part. Uh, but he had to... Uh, same thing with, with Trump and this, uh, this pandemic. So they convinced him, and, and I think he had really no choice. I don't know that I could have done anything different. He, had he said, listen... I'm not going to declare a national emergency. Uh, it, this is a statewide issue. Uh, then 
every death would have been considered a Trump death. But let, uh, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me finish. No, let me, let me finish. All right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on. But that doesn't allow them to let change the voting system. Let me change. Let me explain to you. It doesn't matter. People, it, it, whatever, it, politics is local, as they say. I get that, and it's true. That's where real change happens. But it doesn't matter. People, uh, in the famous words of Ronald, the challenging words of Ronald Reagan, uh, he asked people, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Right? So that was the famous thing. As if uh, it's the president who makes your life positive or negative. Right? I mean, yes, it sends a message and there's a whole attitude about it, but it's your mayor, it's your local city council that really has impact on your life on a day-to-day basis. But it doesn't matter. The point is that people think that, look, he's the president, he's in charge of everything. And that's the way it works. It's a, it's a psychological phenomenon that, that we, it, it may not bear in reality, but it, it, it really is true. People think this way. Anyway, I don't want to digress too much on this point, Ari. Uh, I want to talk about the Giuliani moment, and this is the last thing I want to talk about today. <sighs> what do I mean by Giuliani moment? It's, it should be self-explanatory, but back in the early 90s, Giuliani became mayor of uh, New York City, and as you know, he completely turned it around. And you should mention he's a Republican, and New York hadn't elected a Republican since like the 1930s right. or something. And why was it, why do I call it a Giuliani moment? It was a, a moment of clarity because the city had become so run down, so full of corruption, so much crime that New Yorkers finally did the unthinkable and voted for, gasp, a Republican. And they said, what the hell? Let's just do it. Let's see if, if, if he can change this city. And sure enough, with some very basic principles that are conservative, he did turn, turn the city of New York around. Just like that. It's, it, it's, I mean, virtually overnight. Yeah, within three years, it, was, be, it went from the city of um, Martin Scorsese's, Scorsese's Mean Streets to the city of, like, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movies. Yes. And the city of uh, uh, Sex and the City. You right. know, a glamorous place where a woman could actually walk around at night. And not only that, but it became a very wealthy, the, the island of Manhattan became very wealthy. It was it, it virtually impossible for anyone to, to live there unless you were very wealthy. So, uh, and, and that was wonderful. I, I mean, I, I, three years ago or so, I was with my family and I said, this is wonderful. You can walk around <clears throat> as a woman, as a child in New York City and, and not have to worry about being attacked. And... My family, you know, some of whom are very liberal, said, well, that's because they can't afford to live here. Like, they have to commute here. Like, okay, but that's not the point. The point is that it was, the, the changes were so successful that it, it made Manhattan a very desirable place to live. Yeah, and it was and, simple and, things like getting rid of the graffiti, the broken windows theory, prosecuting small crimes with the idea that that would stop big ones from happening, right. and redoing areas like, say, Times Square that were full with, of porn shops and peep shows. It created a dynamic and a new environment yeah. of responsibility and accountability, and that was very important. And if you, when you do that, everyone wins, right? It's not, it's not as if only the rich win when you, when you foster a, an environment of accountability. 
the poor also win because then there's more money flowing to hire the poor and, and then give them pay raises and such. But it also sends a signal of accountability to the poor so that if you, let's say, have an alcohol problem, maybe you should, you should conquer your alcohol problem and, and you know, be responsible for yourself. We're not going to keep you on welfare for the rest of your life. Anyway, you get the idea. So the Giuliani moment is what we're talking about. Will California have a Giuliani moment? That's, that's the question that I posed myself. Yeah, well, and I, I, wait, 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 this is a rhetorical question. Hold on, hold on. Will it have one? And the answer to me is no. The factors that came into play in New York City were very local. Uh, there was really only one man in charge. It's not as if um, a governor can do what Giuliani did. He could, a governor can, can destroy a state, no problem. That's, he has that power very easily. But to effectuate what Giuliani did in a whole state, as did Giuliani in a city like New York, not possible. There are, there are too many players, too many unions, too many uh, assemblymen and senator, state senators who have different interests and, and different com competing motives uh, that would not allow it. Even if a liberal like uh, Jerry Brown, who, you know, as, a, as an older governor, as a second-term governor that he became, you know, he was, you could say he was a more moderate liberal, that, certainly when you compare him to Newsom, for example. Yeah, people had all these hopes with Jerry Brown. Oh, he won't be beholden to the unions. He's an older guy. He has no aspirations. He'll be able to tell them no. Uh-uh. Right. Didn't happen. Yeah, so even he, you know, he's just beholden to himself, and, and that's that. So I, I don't see it. Um, I, I would love it. I would love to be wrong. I would love a, a new governor to come in and, and the, the people of California to be so sick of what is happening to California, particularly in Los Angeles. Um, I have more hope that a Republican will take over Los Angeles than I do a Republican will take over uh, the governorship in, in California and also effectuate the kind of change that we need to do. I just don't think that he has the capacity to do that. I, I, God willing, a Republican becomes governor, but then you have to have the Assembly and the Senate in California do the bidding that the governor wants. He can only do so much. So for that reason, I think that the, the fix is in. Uh, I'm very pessimistic about California. The only thing I can say is that the weather will be great. It'll always be great. That you can count on. But so what? So what? There, Haiti has great weather. I don't want to live in Haiti. <laughs> it's, I, no, no thank you. So with all due respect to California, we are seriously considering moving out of California. You may very well hear me formally announce my departure from California. And guess what? If I do, I'll be having the same podcast with my good friend Ari somewhere else. Okay? And you'll be hearing it wherever you may be hearing it yourself because of the great migration. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe when California begins to see that all, is, all of its tax revenues are completely dried up from its businesses that are moving and from the very wealthy who are leaving, and even the not-so-wealthy who are leaving, that their entire tax base is falling apart, maybe 
they'll reconsider. Maybe there will be a Giuliani moment. Yeah, once the union pensions go bankrupt, at that point, the unions will then lose their power. Right. It's a, it's a never-ending spiral, which will then cause California to have to increase its income tax slowly, like a half a percent every year, to the point that you don't realize that you're the frog in the skillet, right? That, that famous metaphor. And that you're just burning yourself to death. I don't want that. And so, like so many other people in California, I may very well be out. And so may you, who's listening to this wonderful podcast with Ari. This is Brock Lurie signing off, and we'll talk with you next week.